In Matthew 4:19, Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Join us in this conversation as we discuss following Jesus, leadership, and doing life with others. Welcome to the 419 Disciple Makers Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 419 Disciple Makers Podcast. I'm your host today, Mark Danzi, and very excited to introduce you uh, to Paula Lonas. Hello, Paula. Hello, Mark. So glad you could join us. I'm happy to be here. You are a uh, wellspring of knowledge when it comes to disciple making, and I know our People are going to be blessed by all that you can share for sure. But before we jump into that, uh, I want them to know a little bit about you. Uh, I know a little bit about you, and I'm blessed by that. But um, where where did you grow up? Grew up in Ohio. Was born in Maslin, Ohio. And people would say, where's that? Well, it's right next to Canton, Ohio. Okay. And famous that, Canton. yeah, famous for the NFL Hall of Fame. So Okay. Uh, I've actually been to one of the games when I was in high school. Oh, that's a highlight, huh? Yeah, it was great. And uh, there's a, there's another thing about the town you grew up near, uh, I think is famous for a couple of things too, right? Well, my hometown is actually Orville, Ohio. Okay. And it's famous for two big reasons. The home of Bobby Knight, mm. the uh, Indiana University legendary coach, mm-hmm. and Smucker's Jelly. <laughs> Smucker's Jelly. I... Uh... I actually am a big fan of Smucker's Jelly. <laughs> That's the only thing I allow in my house. Yeah. So there's a rule that if it's not Smucker's, it can't come in the house, right? Can I come in the house? Do not put anything on peanut butter. Well, if you uh, work for Smucker's Jelly out there, I want you to be impressed today with Paula. She's uh, she's brand loyal. That's for sure when it comes to jelly. Well, uh, I know you grew up as an athlete in high school, in college. You married an athlete as well. Um, what sports did you play? Well, in high school, my biggest sport was basketball, and that caused me to want to go to a school, a university that had a women's basketball team. And um, aside from the fact of basketball, I chose Miami University for its um, renowned uh, qualities and played basketball there. Now, there's two Miamis, right? That's that's the other one. Yeah. Mine is Miami University, which is the older, more prestigious <laughs> Miami. Folks, this is a little joke because I'm from Miami, Florida, and she loves to remind me that it's new, and theirs is the original. So There you go. <laughs> and uh, you're also, I know at some point in your career, you became a tennis uh, judge, referee. Mm-hmm. And tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, uh, I officiated tennis as a lines judge. So you hear the person calling out. Yeah. Otherwise, everything's in. <laughs> <laughs> right. So you hear the word out being yelled. And uh, I did that for 10 years at the U.S. Open in New York. And in order to get there, of course, you had to do many tournaments through the year Uh to build and build and build your resume up to be accepted to come to New York. So I bet that was a big highlight of my life. Be on the court with all those famous tennis pros, huh? Yep. That is wonderful. I'm sure that was a highlight. Well, um, I know you married a baseball player from Miami, right? Yes. And uh, Bill Lonas. And you guys now have started a ministry, well, several years ago, started a discipling ministry that has been extremely influential in my life. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the details of of Narrowgate later. Um, So tell us uh, what took you from Ohio. Well, I was in Ohio up until I graduated from college, and my first teaching job was in St. Louis. Um, Bill was actually behind me in school. And so we had this I-70 romance going. Uh, So that brought me back to Ohio to go to grad school at Ohio State. We got married. And then because of his work, we ended up moving around the country. Okay. And um, you had some children. Yes. I have a boy and a girl. 
Uh, which is great. Given you grandchildren, I think, and now. And we have four grandchildren, yes. Wow, I can see the light in your eyes. <laughs> they are the joy under yep. that. Well, so, Paula, did you grow up in a Christian home? Actually not. Uh, not a practicing Christian home. Um, growing up in the 50s, I really do see growing up in what I call Christian culture. Hmm. I mean, my town had lots of churches. Just a small town of 5,000 5, had lots of churches. Everybody I knew went to church, but I can't say that um, everybody was really a practicing Christian. Mm-hmm. So I, I call that Christian culture. Yeah, I can see that. And so at what point in your life did Christianity become uh, your faith? Mm-hmm. Well, you do, by growing up in Christian culture, you do absorb mm-hmm. a lot about it. And um, my school at that, in those in that era, would the calendar was a Christian calendar. So in school, your public school, you're practicing and, and uh, celebrating Christmas and Easter with mm-hmm. songs and assemblies and programs that are shows at night, you know, this mm-hmm. kind of thing. So I definitely absorbed all that. Um, but at age 14, an, an itinerant evangelist came to our town one night mm-hmm. in the gym, or I'm sorry, in the auditorium of the high school, and I attended and that was when I received Jesus into my heart wow. from his message. Praise the Lord. So I was 14 when I would say that I became a Christian in my heart. Did it change your life at that point? Did it affect your, the way you live? Well, not too much in the sense that I still was attending our Methodist church and going to MYF, you know, and mm-hmm. all the social activities. But again, I didn't see people acting any differently that said they were a Christian. And there wasn't really any studying going on in my church of uh, students. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of thought, oh, John 316, I did it. (laughs) Check the box. Check the box. I'm I'm good. You know, this is what it is. And so I went for the next 40 years, four zero years. Wow. Before the next, God got me in the next phase. In the next phase. Well, I know we're ready to, certainly ready to hear about that. So you're, what, 54 at this time? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, 54. 52, 54, yeah. And uh, tell us about that. What's what happened? Well, in going through life, I mean, I'm constantly saying I'm a Christian, and I feel like I am, John three sixteen. Mm-hmm. But I'm still trying to figure life out. Like, what is this about? And why does sometimes it works for me, and other times it doesn't work for me? And I got into this: what is true? Because there was a lot of relativism during my period too, mm-hmm. during my era, and everything can't be true. I mean, it's impossible. So I got into the law of opposites. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, logically made sense to me. Right. So I thought, well, here is God who says he has the truth, which I, I can accept that. I'm a Christian, but I've never investigated it. Mm. So in 1998, um, a person who had been with me alone a grayling for four, about four years at that time, took me to a study of John, the book of John, mm-hmm. at BSF. And it didn't take me long until chapter three God opened my eyes up big time on with Nicodemus when Jesus said, you must be born again. Wow. And the words of my Bible say, you must be born again. And through my through my life, I always thought, who are these born again Christians? Who do they think they are? (laughs) I mean, I always thought they were arrogant. Yeah. And in moving to the south, which was our last move, Mm -hmm. I'm meeting a lot of people that would classify as born again Christians. Mm -hmm. So I'm in this process, started in 98 and went all the way to 2002 with Alona, who was my discipler. No, no. So how did you meet Alona? Was that so it was it one of those things where you were at a church and you were looking for that or did she just approach you or what? 
Yes, my daughter Holly was in high school here in Atlanta. Our son had already graduated from high school and was out of state. And uh, Holly had many friends from Perimeter Church. Okay. And so Perimeter had this program for seekers. Now, I never considered myself a seeker. Yeah, you're a Christian. But it had the thing that you could ask a lot of questions. Get your questions answered. So in this 40-year period of, I call it, wandering, not in the desert, but in a way, because I was doing a lot of wandering, W-O-N-D-E-R-I-N-G. I wanted answers. I wanted to know what was true. And so I went to this program, and Randy Pope was the lead oh, yeah. teacher. Great teacher. Four Tuesday nights in a row. It, he repeated it, and I showed up again for another four Tuesday nights in a row. To the same program. To the same program, <laughs> because I wanted to hear what these people's questions were, and I was absorbing all this. Uh-huh. At the end of the second session, the last night, I waited till everybody was away from the auditorium, and I went up to Randy, and I kind of sh- t- shared with him my story of wanting to know the truth, and there was Alona just waiting for someone, a woman, to come up and talk to Randy. I mean, God puts this all together. Yeah. And so she she takes me under her wing. We go have coffee. We read books of the Bible together. And like I say, after four years, we go to the study of John. After and that's... that's she spent four years with you. Four and invest, a half total. Investing yep. in you. Mm-hmm. My goodness. And she... That's, um, that's had, a foreign concept, Paula, to a mm-hmm. lot of people. I mean, the, the traditional thought is, well, you go to church and maybe you go to a Sunday school class or you go on a mission trip or something, and then somehow you just become a strong believer. But that's mm-hmm. not the way it worked for you. No. I definitely had a lot of questions. Um, Alona was very helpful because she was very experienced. But if I had some deep, which I did have some deep theological questions, she had me go to Dr. John Musselman. Mm. And John gave me one of the best, I feel like, one of the best um, accolades I've ever had. He said, Paula, you've asked me some questions I've never had anybody ask me. <laughs> you were really questioning, oh, yeah. weren't you? I wanted to know the truth, Mark. I wanted yeah. to know if I was going to say that this was what I believe, to me it had to be the truth and nothing wishy-washy. And, of course, reading the Bible and seeing God's Word, he just kept working on me, kept mm-hmm. working on me. So in John, I'll take you back to the study of uh, John again. Mm-hmm. John chapter 3, when I read, You Must Be Born Again, I immediately, after all this pre-years of working with Alona, saw what that was. And I could understand it. Mm-hmm. And then chapter four was the one that did it for me because that's where he met the Samaritan woman at the well. Because oh. I had a lot of uh, women's issues mm-hmm. growing up in the 60s and the 70s when we said that I went to Miami University to play basketball. They had no scholarships in the 60s. Really? So I just played basketball for Miami University. About so missed out on anything that we would take as normal today for the rights of women. Mm-hmm. So when he spent, Jesus spent that one-on-one time with the woman at the well, I just related so much to that story. Wow. And then at the end of the study of the day, the group study, you get together and the main leader asks for a kind of an altar call. And that's when I submitted. That's I good. could feel my heart pounding. I know what I've got to do because I had never made Jesus my Lord. Mm. And that was the moment. October 15th, 2002, when I surrendered, totally not knowing what the next step was going to take me. And I knew I was, I was stepping into the unknown for Mm -hmm. me. It it was amazing. Well, you, you, you bring up something very interesting that we talk about a lot in disciple making, which is answering these different levels of call from the Lord. And that is salvation, of course, is the first one. And you answered that at 14. Mm -hmm. And then it was 40 years later that you surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. Yes. 
40 years. That's not, that's... <laughs> that's a long time. That's, well, that's a significant number. Yeah. Isn't it? But I think it's kind of cool because it's like 40 years in the desert. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's not, it's, but, but I'm just thinking of the patience of God. Mm. Oh, I absolutely, when I read the fruit of the Spirit and I see patience, I know it. <laughs> God was very patient <laughs> with patient me, with for you. sure. And very provincial grace. I mean, provident grace was yeah. through my whole life. It was amazing looking back. You, you know. can see it looking mm-hmm. back, can't you? You can't see it when you're in it. Mm-mm. Wow. So, John, so this concept of born again just stirred your heart. Yes, I, I saw it. It's like my eyes were open reading that. And I'd not ever seen it before. I'd only heard people talk about being born again. Yeah. So I never saw it in Scripture because of the study of John. There ah. it was. So you're reading the Bible now for yourself, mm-hmm. really. Yeah, I like that verse. You know, Jesus says, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And the word see there, S-E-E, um, it, it doesn't mean, you know, necessarily just when you die, you'll visibly see it. It means you can't understand or comprehend mm. the things of God. Right. And uh, so many people, um, they're not born again, so they just don't, then they don't understand why they don't understand God, mm-hmm. you know. But I think Jesus is right. That's certainly your story. So what changed in your life of when you surrendered there in October to mm. the Lordship of Christ? Well, quite interestingly, Bill was on a parallel path. We were on a parallel path, and all this happened for both of us within a month of each other. Oh, wow. So we just start, well, we became members of Mount Pisgah, mm-hmm. and we immediately went on a mission trip mm. to Costa Rica. Okay. And Michael Jordan was our first team leader. Which now, is amazing. Not the basketball player, no. but the mission <laughs> leader. <laughs> Although, you know, I'm sure Michael Jordan's a great guy too, but <laughs> the basketball player. Yeah, so you, you immediately, now in your newfound faith, so to speak, you go on a mission trip. Mm-hmm. Was that, did that scratch the itch for you? Was that the key? Well, not exactly. I mean, we did go down and had a wonderful experience, and we helped um, the community down there begin the foundation of their church, which I haven't been back to see it, but it stands today. Mm-hmm. So Bill actually dug a ditch, and I ministered to the women and, um, you know, had program for them, and they were the ones that would feed us every day. You know how the women mm-hmm. of the church. Mm-hmm. And v- v- VBS went on and all these things. It was a great experience. But to tell you the truth, Mark, Bill and I got disciple-making because Alona was my disciple-maker, and John, Dr. John Musselman was Bill's disciple-maker. Yeah. And so we're getting all this one-on-one experience. And when I come back to Mount Pisgah, you see up on the sanctuary wall making disciples here, there, and everywhere. And that was very strong at that time, emphasizing that. And honestly sat on the plane coming home, Mark, and I said to Bill, we didn't make any disciples. Hmm. We didn't put anybody on a track yeah. of, of doing disciple making. Just engaged with them. Is yeah, much we it, went yeah. down and served them, which is a great loving thing to do. Mm-hmm. But considering our church said making disciples here, there, and everywhere, and, and actually talked about that. If you go on a mission trip, mm-hmm. I mean, I had to say to Bill, I, I can literally remember, I said, we didn't make any disciples. Mm-hmm. So this became something that we were constantly talking about. And then Bill started a little covert <laughs> group of men at Mount Pisgah uh-huh. under the leadership of one of the perimeter church leaders okay. on disciple making. Yeah. And so the women were about three years behind Bill because I kept saying, I want to do what you're doing. I want to do what you're doing. And so they were busy getting the their program going for three years. And I shouldn't say program because that's not how you should think of it. Mm-hmm. But they did adopt Perimeter's Journey mm-hmm. material. The curriculum. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so three years after that, approximately, we came and t- had a meeting of women in the church. And, you know, how women will show up for this new thing to lead. 
and three women raised their hands that they would lead, and I did not. I just wanted to be a participant. So I got involved in Sandra Shaner's group, and we did the journey program from Perimeter for three years. So that was my first taste of an actual curriculum. Uh-huh. That was in kind of the mid-2000, you know, maybe 2005, six, seven, six, seven, eight, something like that. Right. So having done that, then I started my own first group, Yay. and it was the children's ministry staff, okay. of which the remaining is Rita Felice. So here you are as a layperson at your church. Yes. Who then disciples the children's ministry staff. Yes. (laughs) And so we did that for about two years, and then they had a couple people changes. So it's kind of hard to pick something up in the third year when somebody hasn't experienced the first two years. Mm -hmm. So we just kind of disbanded that. And then I got another group after that, uh, and Rita was my uh, co-leader. The the children's ministry director. Yes, and that went for three and a half years. How about that? And all people in that group but one are discipling. So that's multiplication. Uh huh. So let me think. Let me think through this for a second. So Ilona invests in you. Yes. You understand the principles of disciple making from her, and then you turn around and start investing in others. Yes. That's truly passing the baton, isn't it? Yeah. And that, now there's dozens and dozens of women out there that you've discipled mm. who are doing it themselves, right? Mm. Yeah, I think if you added up all the groups yeah. and the people in them. So. And so what have you personally learned, Paula, about this, this concept of not just being a Christian and going to church, but being a disciple maker? What is some of the lessons you've taken from that? Oh, wow. Well, I'd have to first take us to the Great Commission. Mm. I mean, this is so profound, and I'm always amazed. We, we talk about it and teach on it many times during the three and a half years. Sometimes you got to remind people. Yeah. <laughs> Something that Jesus said his last words. And as we know, when someone says their last words, it is profound. We know that from life. Mm-hmm. And so to read that and and want to practice it because it's a command. And Jesus said, go and make disciples. He didn't say go and make converts, go and make members of churches. Right. It is disciples. And that word has meaning. Yeah. And I love going back through scripture and showing that showing people this is the meaning of this because Jesus himself actually defined it. If you want to be my disciple, you must pick up your cross and carry it daily. Mm. You must make me number one, love mm. one another. There's, there's several places where I could, we could point out exactly Jesus's words describing his disciples. Yeah. So, and this is some of the things that you want to make sure over your time with women that you uh, really touch on so that they, that, that they get it. Yeah. Because it is still amazing that people will read that and see it and even to be able to say, oh, that's the Great Commission, but they don't get it. Yeah. They don't think it's for them. Um, they wouldn't know what to do if they did think they were supposed to do this thing. Yeah. Well, I can tell you if, as, you know, being a pastor for many, many years myself, um, it, 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 it did elude me too. And mm. many of you guys have heard my story before, so I'm not going to go into that. But what I have learned is that the gospel, there's two things about the gospel. There's a, a comfort to the gospel, that I can be born again, I can have purpose, I can go to heaven. That's a comfort, and that Jesus's Holy Spirit's always with me. But not only is it a comfort, it's also a call, mm. and we have to answer that call. Mm-hmm. And you've done that as a disciple maker. So early on in these 419 podcasts, Simon Mortimer walked us through the four calls of Christ, salvation, mm. lordship, discipleship, and disciple maker. And you are now, you've answered that fourth call, and you and your husband, not only are you, I know, discipling groups of women locally around your house and in your community, 
but you and your husband now have taken mission to a new level of disciple making in your own ministry, Narrowgate. Tell us a little bit about that. Are you referring to going to Europe? Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, Bill had been going to Europe for several years with Dr. John Musselman again. They were like a team. He was the theologian and Bill was the lay person. And they went to Europe to this big conference. I mean, it was thousands of people uh, in Poland. And they went maybe three or four years in a row. And the last two years, Bill went, I went with him. So that was great. So I got to meet a couple of his very special disciples that they actually discipled over the years oh, okay. because John and Bill would offer their their program that they offered their teaching that they offered was a year long being discipled by John and Bill through zooming and two on sites every year okay so it was quite quite something well over the years a couple people one in Ukraine named Igor and the other in Poland named Yarek who you've had an interview with yes um, they just took a special you know, there was just a special bond to Bill. They wanted more of Bill. So my last two years, I got to meet the two of them. And they said, you need to come to, you need to come to Kiev. You need to come to uh, Poznan. And so Bill and I looked at each other and we said, yeah, let's, you know, do it. So I got to go. And of course, now I've been doing things here in the States with groups and I got to transfer that to Europe. So I guess there's women that I could point to over in Europe too. So we're helping them locally in their local community church to develop their congregation to become disciples. Wow, that is incredible. And so uh, is it working? Are there, are women discipling women in Poland and in Kiev? Yes, of course. Bill and I, we are only going over once a year, and then this year we didn't even get to go. Well, yeah, COVID-19, right? Yeah, <laughs> but we would present in a kind of a week conference, but it would be usually a Wednesday through Sunday kind of set-aside time, mm-hmm. and we would give them all these basics and t- do a lot of teaching. And we're to the point now in Poland, for sure, where they're wanting to start groups. And we actually had a Zoom in Poland with that group. And we had 60-some people on the Zoom. Incredible. So you have to learn about this first before you can just go out and say you're making disciples. So we're actually training leaders. Mm -hmm. And um, same in Kiev. And it takes time, Mm -hmm. doesn't it? It takes time. Yeah, it's not the six-week Bible study or the even the one-year commitment, really. Mm-hmm. It takes, uh, Ilona, um, four years in yes. your life, right? Four and a half years plus, you know, this reading the Bible, answering my questions, having my questions answered, seeing Bill in operation doing this, because remember the men started first and then the women were about three years later, mm-hmm. and then at least having that background starting into the journey uh, curriculum mm-hmm. and doing that for three years. <laughs> now, you're using different curriculum now. Um, what... What have you found uh, that really works for you to, to as a, you know, the word curriculum mm. uh, comes from the Latin curricula, which means a track. So mm. we're just basically putting people on a track. Um, what what have you found as a curriculum that you really think does a good job in discipling? I really like Greg Ogden's materials, Discipleship Essentials, okay. I would point to and have used it twice. Okay. Uh, and I know other groups are, have used and do use um, Greg. What Ogden. is it about discipleship essentials that you think really works for you as a leader? I think it's point on, you know, it's right on what definitely every page of that discipleship is essential is needed by someone to become a disciple maker. It isn't the only thing, but it, the way he's just got it set up, um, a couple pages of study and workbook kind of activities, a white page, which is a white paper, which is really nice. So you get another kind of perspective with somebody's opinion on that topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like also that during the time that you are doing discipleship essentials, you're about I don't know six weeks into it, and the next page says renewing your covenant. So <laughs> sometimes 
so Greg Ogden also likes the use of a covenant for these groups, which well, we do here too. Help um, help our listeners understand what you mean by covenant. Mm. Well, you would have to go to the Bible to answer the question because we would uh, secularly have an understanding of a covenant, but it's it remains a promise, a commitment. Um, if you want the true definition biblically, then go to your study Bible's dictionary and look there because mm-hmm. I want to, you know, if I'm going to use the word covenant and it's all over the, throughout the Bible, we want to see biblically how it's defined. Right. But interestingly, I f- have a teaching in Exodus and it's, it actually start with Exodus one and kind of take people through what God's doing with these people that he's just taken across the Red Sea to mm-hmm. freedom. And you just get a real good feel as I would teach through Exodus, but you finally do get to chapter 19 where God offers the covenant. Mm. And again, that's such an important point to say, who is initiating the covenant? Who is offering it? It's It's God. God. Mm. (laughs) And you see there, if then, so there are requirements for people. God is asking for a commitment and Mm. they, the people go to Moses and say, yes, we will obey everything God has commanded us. So that is the covenant for the people of Israel. He'd certainly proven his love and provision prior to that. Yeah. Well, so this this concept of covenant, I know the Old Covenant or Old Testament, New Testament, New Covenant, um, is is certainly how the Bible's divided into two, for Mm -hmm. sure. Uh, How do you translate that concept of covenant into a discipleship group today? Mm -hmm. Well, then you can find covenant in the New Testament also, um, where Peter talks about, um, let's see if I can be a holy, Mm -hmm. a holy nation and a kingdom of priests. Yeah, I'm, royal priesthood. R- royal priesthood. Right. Those are exactly parallel to what God was asking in Exodus. Interesting. Uh, offering for the covenant. So it is there, um, just that I think it's a, people don't see it as much in the New Testament. Uh-huh. But I think the covenant is saying to God, I am one of your children and I want to follow you and I want to commit to you and I want to submit to you. Uh-huh. And we are all doing that in the same group of covenant um, groups of disciple making, because first of all, you're doing that with God, right. but then you're making that promise to the other members of the group, because honestly, disciple making groups are totally different than your normal um, Bible study. When you kind of have the option, oh, I didn't do the work this week, so I'm not going to show up at the study hmm. or I can show up to the study. I've read this before, but I didn't do the work. Right. So there's really a commitment to do the work and to promise to everybody to have strict attendance Mm-hmm. And so that's it just really helps to get everybody committed and on the same page. Sure. And actually the covenant I just remind everybody is to God, but then we make it to each other too. Well, it yeah, it sounds like it's accountability, you're setting expectations. We all we're all playing from the same sheet of music, I think is mm-hmm. what uh, is another way I I like to I mm-hmm. like to think about that. So, uh do uh, people resist this concept of covenant? Some, yeah, they do. I think that we're Americans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll do it's it. kind of that. Um, a lot of people have a problem making a, a promise and keeping it. it. It's true of certain people, you know. Yeah. Um, they didn't know what they were getting into. I don't know. So we do let anybody that can't continue drop out. Sure. Um, that doesn't happen very often, though. So mm-hmm. the idea is to finish the race. Yeah. Yeah. It's not how you start, yeah. how you finish, right? And so the covenant, you know what? The two groups I have right now, I'm not calling us a covenant group. Mm-hmm. I believe, and this is just something I'm doing with these specific two groups, it's more of a verbal commitment. Mm-hmm. And the material that we're doing, which is train, the training of the 12, which I would love to talk about that if you have some questions. Sure. But the curriculum I'm using with these two groups currently is training of the 12. The material is so rich 
that people don't want to miss. Yeah. <laughs> so it is quite quite exciting that way. You don't have to beg them or cajole them. Right? Oh no. Well, um, I know that from the time of the Apostle Paul until the late 1800s, it's really difficult to find a work or a volume written on the on disciple making. Mm. Um, but then A.B. Bruce comes along, a Scottish pastor in the oh, was 1870s, in the 1870s, mm-hmm. and writes this book called The Training of the Twelve. Yes. And is that the book that you use? Actually not. It's written very hard to read because it's like Scottish rhythms and, uh-huh. uh, so, you know, you know it, it'd yes. be like trying to read Old English. Uh-huh. And so Dr. John Musselman actually took this upon himself because he could see this great need. He thinks the book is, to him, one of the best ever, yeah. maybe number one for him, I don't know. Yeah. But he took it upon himself to then not change anything that A.B. Bruce said, but make it in modern English. And he actually added a little workbook flavor to it. So as you're going through the pages of a chapter, uh, you actually feel like you're in a workbook and you're literally feeling feeling like you're being discipled by Jesus himself. Wow. Because it's, it's basically a deep dive into how Jesus discipled the 12, right? Exactly. The lessons. Mm-hmm. What is it from, the, uh, from that that you uh, really think is so valuable for disciples to see and to know? Well, again... I think as you see it, these are these are some Bible um, passages you've read before. Let's take the feeding of the 5,000. Mm-hmm. We all know that as Christians. Even little children know that. Mm-hmm. And the concentration is so much on the feeding of the 5,000, the miracle. Mm-hmm. And yet, if you were taking A.B. Bruce's study, you would see that that would be the first chapter of a lesson that goes on for the next four events. Mm. One, the sifting. And then, see, you've asked me this question off the top of my head, but there's four units that go together. Mm-hmm. And actually, what God was doing, what Jesus was doing, was setting the disciples up for the lessons. So he was progressing. Oh, the walking on the water was mm-hmm. the second one. After the feeding of 5,000, you had the walking on the water. Then you had the sifting. And I forget what the fourth one was. But you see, oh, my goodness, Jesus was doing this to train the twelve. It wasn't just a wonderful story about a miracle feeding 5,000 with the little boy's lunch. Yeah. That's what we don't see. Yeah. Most of us end the story with that, though. Uh-huh. Yeah. And but... there's a f- connection for the next four events that are connecting all of those specifically to train the 12. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I know Robert Coleman uh, speaks to that concept of that most everything he did was uh, with those 12 in mind because it would be them that he would leave in charge to change the world. And they did it. Yep. They did it. They kept their covenant. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're right. Yeah. yeah. Well, fascinating. Well, so Paula, what, what would you say to, uh, let's say there's a woman out there like you were who mm. uh, raising kids and just trying to do life and yet has these questions or has this, this deep sense that maybe there's something more I should, I could be engaged in, mm-hmm. uh, in Christ. How would you encourage them today? Oh, well, if I personally was involved in with them in my community, mm-hmm. I would certainly want to maybe start taking them out to some coffees and just seeing where they're at and seeing what they want to commit to. I have, um, I think my story is interesting, Mark, and in that I was so proactive. I really, me, was on a search for the truth. Right. So I was going for it, you know, um, and I, I would love to meet some women in that state in the same boat. Mm-hmm. But because many times you feel like you're trying to convince somebody, yeah, you should do this. Yeah. So it's kind of hard for me to relate to somebody that's wishy-washy. Because mm-hmm. you were on a, <laughs> yeah. you were in search of. I was definitely seeking. 
So um, I believe like at Mount Pisgah, though, anybody that would be in that situation cer- certainly has someone they can come to. Sure. What about um, uh, is to contact you, I guess they could go to the Narrowgate okay. uh, website yeah. if they wanted to. We have a website. Yep. Narrowgate EFL. EFL stands for for equippingforlife.com. Narrowgate Equipping for Life EFL. I'm sorry, I'm confusing everybody. <laughs> Narrowgateefl.com. There you go. So if they go to the website, they can get your contact information Abs- if they have absolutely. questions or yeah. anything like that. Well, I think that would be so, so valuable. Uh, Paula, how would you, uh, so let's say that there is a woman uh, like you who has uh, found the truth. She's living for Jesus and feels like um, she's surrendered to the Lordship of Christ, but um, is feeling called to lead other women. Mm. Um, how would you encourage her? Well, I definitely want to hook up with her yeah. <laughs> because it's interesting, even though I have groups and today I currently have two separate groups. I do believe Bill and my calling is more training leaders. Okay. So our so this sounds like somebody who should be in leadership training. Mm-hmm. And get her first of all as a participant of a disciple making group, as a participant, mm-hmm. a disciple, and yet training and having her have that different lens she's looking through. Okay, here's what I'm getting out of this as a disciple, but I also see that this is how you disciple make. Right. Yeah, how you take that to the next level, yeah. right. Because a lot of people would come, and that's why training of the 12 is so great. Mm-hmm. You literally see Jesus training for when he leaves mm-hmm. and taking this to the world. And so, again, the Great Commission, um, and he did it in less than three years. <laughs> yeah, that's that's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> but 1224, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he you was know, with 24, them a lot. Yeah. He was with them a lot, no yeah. doubt about that. Well, I'm so, um, you are very inspiring. I know I can say personally that I know women you've discipled and have invested in, um, and you are literally just uh, a participant passing the baton of the gospel on. And so uh, whether it be here in the United States or in Poland or in Ukraine, there are women that are blessed by you greatly. So thank you for uh, your commitment to the gospel and all that you do. Well, thank you, Mark. It's a joy to have you. Hey, if you're listening out there today and um, anything that has inspired you um, to maybe take another step in your spiritual maturity or your growth or even your leadership, uh, reach out to us here at 419disciplemakers.org. There's also a lot of resources online available for you. Uh, go visit Paula. Ask her some questions at narrogateefl.com. Uh, we want to make sure that you are resourced uh, to live out the Great Commission as a lifestyle. So thank you for joining us today. Hey, tell somebody else about this podcast and uh, tune them in and uh, so that they can be blessed as well. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. For more information, check out our website, 419disciplemakers.org. 